you are listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled Man. Hello my radio friends. I'm glad you could join me today to hear more from the perspective of God's Word, the Bible. Today we will consider the subject of man, that is, mankind. I want us to consider why man exists, also the origins of man, and whether evolution satisfactorily explains man's existence, and what the Bible has to say about man. People have wondered if mankind is the pinnacle of life on earth. Movies have been made about beings from outer space, that's extraterrestrials, and radio telescopes have been trained at the sky to see if any other beings in space have sent any intelligible signals in an effort to make interstellar communications with earthlings. Around the world there are over 100 radio telescopes, with nine being located in Australia. Many of these are monitored 24 hours a day in the hope of receiving radio signals from other civilizations elsewhere in the universe. Behind these activities and investigations is the concept that there may be beings in the universe who are much more intelligent and more advanced than man. There have been all kinds of weird theories about where man came from. Some postulate that man is the product of some alien beings who came to planet Earth and later left. And then, of course, there's that hackneyed theory that has been spread far and wide by evolutionists that man is nothing more than a product of random, haphazard mutations from some lower life forms resulting in the existence of Homo sapiens. If either of the above ideas are correct, there has to become some kind of explanation for why morality, love, technology and cumulative culture exist. Let's begin with the evolution of man from lower life forms. As I see it, there are some very significant problems in trying to explain the origins of man from this evolutionary philosophical viewpoint. Evolution is supposed to be totally random. There is no master plan, no blueprint, and no aim. It, supposedly, just happens. So then, if that is the case, why are all the different life forms properly functional and neatly packaged? How come everything in all living organisms is in the right place and works as it should. The modern-day champion of evolution, Professor Richard Dawkins, said, Things look like they are designed, but they aren't. 
Now, I find this statement so self-contradictory that it's ludicrous. Dawkins means that the evidence plainly shows that living organisms are designed. But then he sweeps away all acknowledgement of that fact with a childish statement denying there is any design. So if man is purely the result of various bits and pieces cobbled together, that has to be the greatest fluke of all time. From what I've read and observed, the complexities in the human body and all its functions and interdependence scream out, DESIGN! Another aspect of the evolutionary theory is that all living creatures come from one ancestor because all are related via the DNA to each other. The DNA of man and chimpanzees is supposed to have about a 98% similarity, although recent research has shown that the similarity is more like 70%. Humans and bananas share about 50% similarity in their DNA. Humans and dogs, 84%, and humans and mice, around 90%. The idea that all living creatures share one ancestor is a supposition, cooked up by evolutionists to support their tattered theory. All life needs DNA to reproduce and function. There is no need to try to produce a single ancestor. And what I'm saying here is that DNA is the necessary building block of all living things. It's impossible for me to believe that man came about through evolutionary processes. Now to another issue. Humans have wondered if man is the highest form of life in the universe. And I'd like to say that man is the highest form of life on earth. That position carries not only a certain status, but a large responsibility. Man, therefore, must be the custodian of the planet. It's fairly obvious that man has not carried out his responsibility very well, given the issues of overpopulation, global warming, unequal distribution of wealth, and unequal uses of resources in the world today. Hebrews 2, verses 7 and 9, point out what is the actual status of mankind. The Bible says there, What is man that you, that's God, are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. By this statement, we can extrapolate an order of importance in the universe. First there is God. Next are the angels. Then comes man. Below man are mammals, reptiles, fish, 
insects, and so on. But I'd like to suggest to you that the gradients are not of equal dimensions. It's my firm belief that God is so much higher than angels or humans. I once asked an adult class I was teaching what they thought about this. The internal walls of the building we were in were of exposed bricks. If the bottom layer represented invertebrates and the next layer represented vertebrates, that is fish, creatures with a backbone, and then the next layers, layer rather mammals and the next layer humans, which layer would represent God? One of the students made an insightful statement by saying God is so much higher and that the wall would need to be as high as from earth to the moon to represent God at the top. It's no wonder that this statement is in the Bible, What is man, O God, that you are mindful of him? In answer to the question about whether there are other living beings in the universe, the Bible points out that there are. Job chapter 1 and verses 6 to 8 speaks about a time when the representatives of the various inhabited places in the universe came together to present themselves before the Lord. Satan was among them and the Lord asked, Where did you come from? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it? The Bible does not say what those other beings look like, but it does acknowledge their existence and presence. Have you ever played the game Chinese Whisper? What happens is that people are in a line or a circle and the game leader whispers a short statement into the ear of the next person. That person is then required to whisper the statement to the adjacent person. And so the message is passed from one to another until the last person in line receives the message. Then, usually to everyone's delight, the last person is required to announce to everybody the message handed down to him or her. Often the message is completely different to the original message. The same applies to the handing down of information. Most scholars know that the most reliable written material describing any event is what is written nearest when the event occurred. That's why the Bible is so important, because it's an old book spanning many centuries. The creation account is written in the first chapter of the first book in the Bible, the book of Genesis. You should read it for yourself. And that starts out with, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then it describes the order in which God created. First day was light. Day two, the firmament. 
Day three, dry land and vegetation. Day four, the sun and moon. Day five, fish and birds. Day six, land animals and man. Day seven, well, God rested and observed the Sabbath. In Genesis chapter one, verses twenty-seven and twenty-eight, is the Bible record about the creation of man, and it says this: So God created man in His own image, in the image of God He created him, male and female He created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, "Be fruitful and multiply." Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the birds of the air and over every living thing that lives on the face of the earth. The most reliable source of information in the world, God's Word, the Bible, clearly states that a superior being, God, was responsible for the origin of mankind. Not only that, but Man was made complete. It was not necessary for man to develop from some sort of inferior life form, because at creation, man was complete with both sexes, male and female. Furthermore, man was given a mandate, a purpose for living. It was to procreate children, and to care for the environment in which he lived. As the highest form of life on earth, man was and is responsible for not only the physical environment, but is responsible for all the other created life forms, including the plants and creatures. But at creation, man was given dignity. We were made in the image of God. What a pity it is that God's image, image is tarnished in humankind because of entrance of sin into this planet. God is good, kind, noble, and perfect. Unfortunately, man has taken on the qualities of Satan, the evil one. So instead of living in a world of peace and goodness, we have to deal with crime, selfishness, lust, greed, and a whole lot more. The question of why man exists remains puzzling to many people. I've already shared with you three of those reasons, but I'm going to repeat them straight after the break. Tell you how the glory rose. Tell you how it bubbles in my happy soul. 
Happiness is free, it's never bought or sold Let me tell you how I feel, let me tell you Before the break, I mentioned three reasons why man exists. I'll repeat them. Number one, man exists because God made us. Two, man exists in order to procreate, that is, to have children. And thirdly, man exists to care for the environment in which he's put. In other words, Mankind was made to be the custodian or custodians of the planet. But there are three more reasons. Fourthly, man exists to glorify his maker, God. Coupled with that, people who know God are expected to reflect what God is like and also share the knowledge about God with those who don't know him. The fifth reason is that man was created because God was able to create. In other words, God made man because he could. There's a sixth reason. Man was created for company for God. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 8 to 10, outlines what happened soon after creation when God came down to earth to spend some time with those whom he had created. And it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? So why did God call out? It was because he was accustomed to enjoying their company at that time of day. In other words, God found pleasure being with those whom he had created. Now there's a seventh reason. And that's this. Um, 
that part of enjoyment, or man was made to enjoy life, but part of that enjoyment is enjoying God. I want to share part of an article named Why Do I Exist by Tony Rinke. He says, Putting all these pieces together, we can see one precious implication for why God created us. We are spreaders of God's glory. To be made in God's image means, at a foundational level, we were created to show the world how precious and deeply satisfying God is. Now there's another article that resonates with me and it says this. Religions often set up a one-way scenario where you go to the effort, you worship God, you perform rituals, you obey rules, you prove your devotion to God. It's dutiful, not beautiful, it is dutiful, but there's no relationship. In contrast, the Bible clearly presents God as welcoming, as desiring to lead you into real life that he created for you, as he intimately guides you. He invites us to know him and trust him. It is religion that creates demands. Jesus wants to lead us into freedom. He said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So free from what? From worry, lack of purpose, fear, hatred, and destructive habits. Instead of religious obligations, Jesus leads us into life-giving rest. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Learn from me and you will find rest for your souls. This life is not easy, but in the midst of our concerns there is a powerful God whom you can know, who you can give your who can give your heart peace and your life strength beyond what you could muster on your own. And as you talk to him and trust him, often you will see God respond with action in situations in wise and caring ways. You will see that he hears you. This does not mean we dictate to God and he does whatever we wish. However, we can know that he is very aware of us and capable of taking care of us who trust him. And as you get to know God, your faith in him will grow. Man was never created to continually wander around wondering, why am I here? Man, small and insignificant compared to the rest of the universe, does not amount to very much. But the interesting thing is that God, the ruler of the universe, wants our company. And that's demonstrated by the fact that although God could have looked the other way and forgotten about us, 
in our miserable, sinful condition. He didn't. Instead, he did everything possible that we might spend our time with him for the whole of eternity, to bask in his love and company. And that's a good reason for my existence. When can we experience God? Well, you can start right now. Commit your life to him, and you can have peace and happiness that you may never have known was possible. Very recently I had a conversation with a lady who's gone to church for practically her whole life. Church, with its forms and traditions, never meant very much to her. She wasn't satisfied. But recently she's been reading her Bible, and it has opened her understanding. She told me how, with discovering and having a personal relationship with the God of the Bible, has brought her peace and satisfaction. She feels as if she has come home. You too, friends, will find meaning and satisfaction as you commit yourselves to the Lord Jesus, who loves you and wants you to be with him forever. And I sincerely hope that will be your experience. So, until next time, this is Len signing off and hoping you too will find meaning to your life as you commit yourself to the Lord. <laughs>